my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church, and we're so excited you're visiting with us this weekend. Thank you for being with us on what is our last Sunday in 2018. Y'all ready to live it up in 2019? We here at Victory Church are believing for more. Ephesians 3.20, we're believing that God's going to give us more in 2019. But before we can go into more, we want to talk about how we got to be able to do less. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that throughout this series. Uh, as Pastor Brian said, this series is called Turn Down. And we want you to ask the question, turn down for what? Turn down for what? what? What are we talking about? Well, here's the deal. First of all, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. I hope you got more presents than you need. You ate more food than you wanted and spent way more time with family than you should have. Um, but, but now we're, we're about business and, and we're about purpose. And, and listen, I loved what Jamal just did, how he took us through that time of worship. And he is so right about many things. And one of the things he hit right on the head is that God is a God of miracles. And I love that I just felt the presence from the moment we came here. I felt the presence of God in this place, wanting to do something in people's lives. And Jamal felt that and led it into it. And we're going to talk more about that. Um, but I want to show you. I want, I want to show you the God of miracles. Because real quick, let me just kind of catch you up if you're visiting or you have been in and out of, for whatever reasons traveling. So we are a brand new church. We will turn a year, which is what Pastor Brown was talking about. We will turn a year old January 20th, all right? And we are going to party it up. We're going to party it up. We're going to have a good time together, have a great time together. And, and it was interesting, about a couple months ago, uh, we wanted to create a culture in our church of giving at the end of the year, giving financially. And we called it Purpose Prevails. And we challenged you as a church, a very young church, to step out in faith. And in the season that's the most financially stressed, to step out in faith and to give financially. And we talked a little bit about this. And our church stepped up in a big way. I kind of made a goal in my mind. I didn't share it with you of 14,000. And we watched this church right now. We're already knocking on 18,000 as a church that's given towards Purpose Prevails. But I just want to read real quick a short testimony. And we've already got many of these regarding Purpose Prevails about the God of miracles, all right? Let me read this testimony to you, referring to Purpose Prevails. Pretty, pretty cool. When it came time to give to Purpose Prevails, I felt God tell me to give more than I originally planned. Anybody was there? I was there. I know it. The only problem was that meant I would have to use my savings to buy Christmas presents for my family. So, all right. Person said, I'm big on having savings for emergencies, so I was a little hesitant at first, but I chose to trust God and I wrote my check, then used my savings to buy Christmas. The week of Christmas, I received a check that I did not expect, and it was the exact amount that my savings was before I spent it. Watch this. So, in the end, I gave sacrificially to Purpose Prevails, I bought Christmas presents, and it looked like my savings had never even been touched. They say, God is so good. Come on and give God praise. And we're going to share so many testimonies. Just keep flying. I'll share one with you every week of how God is the God of miracles in this arena and in this area when we step out sacrificially. See, the danger is when we want to sing, God, you're a God of miracles, but I don't want to change. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. You're God of miracles, but I don't want to give to you. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. And so when we step out sacrificially, God comes in with his mighty hand and does miracles in our life. And we've already seen him do it in the planning of the church. We've already seen him do it in Purpose Prevails. And we're about to, as a church, see him do it through the principle of prayer and fasting. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about turning us down so we can turn God up. 
okay? Turn us down. Turn down for what? I'm going to tell you for what. I'm going to tell you the reasons why we want to turn ourselves down and we want to turn God up. You know, I was reading an article over the Christmas. Me and Darla took our kids to see the grandparents, and we were gone for the week, and I was just reading a lot, and I read this article that said, as of 2018, we are now the most self-obsessed than we've ever been. I thought that I couldn't really argue that, right? I know I'm most self-obsessed than I've ever been right now. And and so, I mean, we are, after all, we did invent the selfie, and so it would make sense that we could be kind of categorized as self-obsessed. Obsessed, but then the article went on to say that it's never been like this before. And it talked about selfies and it talked about all the apps that focus in the filters and it talked about how we even take pictures of our food and put it on social media. And I thought, you know what? You're right, but it, it's not new. <laughs> you know, I mean, there were people self-absorbed all the way back into the first century. Like, like self-obsession is not new. Self-obsession is actually very common. And I wanted to show you. I'll give you one example right off the bat. Let's just talk about this. The Mona Lisa. Right? Let's talk about this for a second. You want to talk about self-obsession? This girl thought there will be people who want to pay thousands and millions of dollars for a picture of me. Process that for a second, right? She's just sitting there like, look at me. This is how good I look. Take my picture. This was before cameras, so we didn't have cameras, so you had to paint, right? So, so Da Vinci said, hey, I'm going to paint you, and millions of people, could you imagine right now if when you came in, I gave you a picture of me, a little 8 by 10 said, here you go. Thank you for visiting. We're not giving mugs out anymore. We're giving 8 by 10 pictures of Pastor Troy. There'd be a trash can full of pictures. Y'all ain't fooling me. Nobody wants that. And then I thought about Vincent Van Gogh. This guy took so many self-portraits. He painted so many self-portraits. And I was thinking, it's not that hard to do it with your phone right? It's like, done. How self-obsessed do you have to be to paint yourself? Every dip, boop, you just, yep, look at me, look at me. Woo, one ear though, can only do one ear. It's, it's an art joke if you don't know about that, but, but man, my, my cheekbones in this light are, are amazing, you know what I mean? And I was thinking about Frida, y'all know Frida? That if she was going to do a selfie, you know, she might have wanted to get groomed a little bit before the selfie, right? You know what I mean? If you're going to do the selfie, there was no filters back then, as you can see. And then I even found this picture. Watch this. And it proved one thing, that taking pictures of our food is not a new thing. Look at this. <laughs> they were painting food all the way back then. And this isn't even delicious. This isn't like a steak with broccoli and cheese. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even see what that is. Some kind of fruit, pears, you know what I mean? Notice nobody ever paints a picture of donuts, right? And I heard a comedian say one time, that's because the donuts wouldn't be there long enough for you to paint a picture of it. Somebody would eat it. Nobody's eating the fruit. And so look, when we take pictures of our food and post it, it's not a new thing. So when your mom gets on to you, your grandma, grandpa, get on and say, oh, why are you taking pictures of your food? Say, man, people did it years ago and they made money from it. So self-obsession is not new, Right? And then I even discovered this, self-obsession is not new when it comes to the Bible. There were all kinds of people in Scripture who were a little too self-absorbed. And I want to take some of those people over the next few weeks, and I want to bring out principles that we can learn from their lives about self and the benefits of turning ourselves down and turning God up. The benefits of being able to turn down pride and turn down comparison and to be able to look at how self-obsession throughout the Bible can hurt us and how being able to let go of ourselves 
and grasp more of God can benefit us in 2019. Amen? So we're going to kick it off looking at what I think is probably the most self-obsessed man in the Bible. All right, you ready? Mark chapter 10. If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can look it up on your phone, Google Mark chapter 10, or you can follow it on the screen behind me. Uh, you can read along with us. So, as Jesus started on his way, this is verse 17, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. Jesus goes on, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he interrupts Jesus, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looks at him and loved him and he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have. And give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? You may or may not have read the story before. It's going to be categorized as the young rich ruler kind of a story concept of someone who has so much and at the same time doesn't have enough. And it's interesting because the story doesn't really give us his name. And so I was thinking, I've got to refer to him for the rest of this message. I need a name. And so I just thought we'd go with Richie, right? Richie makes sense. So we're going to call him Richie. So when you hear me refer to Richie, we're talking about the young rich ruler who theologians say is Nicodemus, but we won't go into that today. So we're just going to call him Richie, okay? So Richie comes to Jesus and he's expecting one thing, and Jesus throws him a curveball. Because what Richie wants is a real easy answer. How, 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 do, I get it? how do I get eternal life? What, what, what's the real, give me, give me something real quick, real easy. I can buy it. How much does it cost? How do I get eternal life? And instead of giving him a quick answer, Jesus gives him lessons for life to follow. Jesus literally shows him what happens when you turn down yourself and you turn up God. Turn down for what? Let me show you. The first thing we turn down for is this, understanding that if we want more of him, it means less of me. Anytime I want more of God, it automatically is going to mean less of me. Go ahead and get that in your mind. Go ahead and get it in your heart. If you desire more of God, it's going to mean less of you. You cannot serve you and serve God. You cannot equally love yourself and love God. If you want more of you, then you're going to have less of God. So if you want more of God, you're going to have less of you. Look at the way Richie approaches Jesus. I thought this was so funny. He comes in right off the bat, right? He goes, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? We all know the gospel is very clear that we don't do anything, that Jesus did it all. All we do is follow Jesus, but he walks in. What do I I have to do. And then Jesus gives him six of the Ten Commandments, and he goes through that process, and then he says this, well, okay, I have kept those since I was a boy. Richie has got a real self-obsession issue. I mean, he comes in bebopping, 
all about himself. Look what I've done. I've kept it. I've been holy, so on, so on, so on. Jesus sees him coming from a mile away and literally, tell me if you agree, it sounds like he's calling Jesus good and calling himself great. See it? Hey, good teacher. Well, I did that since I was a kid. I've kept them all. What do I do? You're good. I'm great. I think if Richie had an Instagram handle today, it would be filled with selfies. You know what I mean? Just selfies all over of himself. And I think what Jesus wanted him to learn was this. Anytime there's too much you, there's not enough him. Anytime you are too self-obsessed, the fact is God's probably not as present as he should be. Have y'all heard of the app Marco Polo? Have y'all heard about this? All right, let me explain it real quick in case you haven't. Marco Polo is like video texting, okay? So, you know, you can text somebody, hey, how you doing, sin, and it goes to them, and they get it, and they send it back. Well, Marco Polo, you can send a video. So you can open it up, it's a little video, and you just say, hey, you know, what are you doing, and hit send, and it sends it to them. If they have Marco Polo, and they'll say, hey, you know, Troy Powell sent you a Marco, and you open it up, and you watch it, and it's a little short video. You can't edit the video, so you better make sure you say what you want to say. But, but, but it's just really cool, and I'm like, I'm addicted to it now. I'm like Marco and Polo people, when I'm driving. I'm hitting people. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm driving. My father was like, or a friend of mine was like, you need to put the phone down and drive. I'm like, put a Marco Polo in, you know. Um, and so, but, but I wasn't into it at first. So Darla came to me and she said, hey, you need to get this app. I'm not really a big te- technical guy. There's like three people that run my Instagram and the church's Instagram because I don't know how to do it. You know, I mean, that's how it works. And so I don't really know about that. And she goes, oh, go and get it because I go out to meetings and she's at home watching Casey and she's like, we can kind of talk. And so I said, okay. And so I got it. And, I, and so I wake up one morning, I go to the gym and, and I've been praying all morning and I'm, I'm loving the Lord and I'm excited about God's presence. And then I go work out and I'm kind of excited about how I felt at the gym. And then I get into the car and my phone gives a little notification. It's Darla's Marco Polo and me. And I open it and she says some really nice, sweet things. And I'm just, I'm just in this like great world of blessing, right? God is good. You know, the gym was good. My wife is good. My marriage is good. Life is just good. And I go, I'm going to send her back a Marco Polo. And as soon as I hit the button, let me show you the, the, the picture I got over here. You, you need to get an idea of this. Let's see, where's it at? Look at this right here. Now, first of all, I am so secure in who I am to show you this. This is rough. Y'all ever accidentally opened up like the Snapchat video or something or the camera's on you and you get that double chin look and it's like, oh, goodness. You know what I mean? This is the first thing I see. This makes you want to run the car into a telephone pole. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just, and so I did what every self-respecting human being does. I went into the better angle pose. You know what I mean? Like, you, you do the selfie thing where you put the phone up and it's like, you try to hide all of your wrinkles. Darla says, I do a face when I'm looking in the camera. She said, I do like a, like a smolder. You know what I mean? Ain't nobody studying that. Anyway, so walk with me. I get in the car. You can leave this up for a second, even though it's embarrassing. I I walk to the car. God is so good. I've been in prayer for an hour. I've been thanking God for you and for 70 people giving their life to Jesus. And oh, and 18,000 in purpose prevails. God, you're so good. Then I went in and worked out my back and buys. And, you know, it's just looking really good, starting to see veins and stuff. And then I get in the car, and my wife's like, you're the best husband in the world. And I'm like, that's not really what she said, but it was semi-close. And I'm like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom. And I went from like, God is great to like, I need some kind of physical help. You know what I mean? Like it just kind of shifts 
just boom. It went from here to there. Just boom and then boom. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, ah, just gone. Just train wreck. Bam. And I just realized, listen, when there's so much of you, there can't be enough of God. I can't be focused on self and focused on God. I'm telling you, God, the Holy Spirit just flew right out of the car when I saw that picture. You can take it off now. Don't ever, Debbie, throw it away. Don't you try to put it in your little, your, your phone. I put it on Instagram later. It just was gone. It just, it just was gone. And I'm learning. I'm learning, y'all. Hear me. Sin, y'all quit laughing at me. I'm going to come take pictures of y'all when y'all ain't looking. Uh, watch this, though. Sin is strengthened in self-focus. Sin is selfish. I, I even thought about this, and you may not think it's cute, but I thought it was. The word sin actually centers around I. Spent a week and a half studying for that. You better like it better than that. <laughs> it just centers around I. It's just self-focus, and sin just grows. I even, I even thought, I had this thought. Sin is a seed that grows in the soil of self. Just the more you focus on self, the more sin just... Paul knew this. This is why Paul said, I got two things at war in me. I got flesh, which is I, self, and I've got spirit, which is God, and they're just fighting all the time, all the time, all the time. And Paul wouldn't have mentioned this if it wasn't for the fact that I often wins out, that that flesh often wins. He's saying, what's wrong with me? I don't do what I want to do. And I do what I don't want to do. What's my problem? Because I'm feeding self. And the more I feed self, God has to starve. Because I can't focus on self and focus on God. So Paul's saying something has to happen because self is so hard to resist. How do I go from everything is great to all of a sudden I need to go on Weight Watchers? You know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a big shift. Because flesh wins out. You know, Dola and I were coming back home from Memphis, and we were just having casual conversation like we do, and we started talking about, I don't even know if we were talking about this topic or what, but I started sharing that when I was like 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever it was, I struggled a lot with fighting myself. Just things I knew were wrong, and things that I, but, but, but I could justify it for myself. Justification is a really bad thing. And I would want something, and I would justify it somehow in my mind, in my heart, and I would make it happen. I want to give you an example, the example Darla and I were talking about. I, I would get jobs, you know, 16, 17. I didn't really need money because I still lived with my dad and different, still in high school. But I would get, you know, uh, money for just weekend or for phone bill or whatever it was. But if I got a job that I didn't like, within hours, weeks, I would lead myself into straight anxiety, just like, this place is horrible, and, and I don't like it, and I don't need to be here, and I don't want to be here. And myself would overpower anything good. You know, I remember when I'd get the job, I'd be like, oh, God's so good. I wanted this job. And within a week, it was, I don't want this. I don't need this. It was an empowerment of I. I'll give you an example that's really funny. I love telling this story. Um, to give you a, an idea of how long Pastor Brian and I have been causing mayhem in America, we were working together at a uh, car wash in Memphis, and many times the cars got out into the main road, but that's a whole other story. Um, and one day during our lunch break, I saw a movie theater across the street, and I said, I'm going to go get a job at the movie theater. And so I go get a job at the movie theater, I walk in, you get the job immediately because in Memphis, it's easy. And uh, 
I go through training, and, and I, I get to the place, and they say, hey, you have to wear a tie. Now, I wear ties now, but I did not wear ties up to that point in my life. So I went and got the little white short sleeve button-down shirt that you get at Marshall's, you know what I mean, TJ Maxx, and put the little tie up to the neck and like, looked like uh, Jim Carrey on Dumb and Dumber and just walked up to the movie theater and had my job. And I walk in, and the woman takes me to the cash register, and she's like, all right, you're going to ring up people. And I said, okay, got it. And um, she walks away, and this dude walks up. He's like, yeah, let me get uh, three, three Cokes, one large, one medium. And he just starts naming stuff off, and I'm like, uh what was the first thing you said? And, and so the manager saw that, and she said, that's not his gifting. And so she took me, and she sent me over to the popcorn area. And no lie to you, my job was going to be for the next eight hours to take this little metal scoop, get some popcorn, and put it in a bag, set the bag down. In a tie. Why do I need a tie to bag popcorn? You know what I mean? And so I'm sitting there, and it felt like hours. It actually was 15 minutes. I was sitting there going, I can't do this. This is, I, what if my friends come in and see me in a tie bagging popcorn? I just, I can't do this. I can't. And I worked myself up into such anxiety. I just, I had to leave. And so I looked at the manager, and I said, hey, ma'am. And she said, yeah. I said, I just remembered I forgot something in my car. I'll go get it real quick. I'll be right back. She said, okay. I never came back. Got in the car and was gone. To this day, they're wondering where I'm at. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm on the, I guess Troy ain't coming today. You know what I mean? I was gone. It was just amazing, amazing what self could do. It would just take over. And, and, and it kind of makes sense to me now. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says something, and, and I want you to watch, very profound. It says, whoever wants to be my disciples must promote themselves and take up their phone and get many to follow them. And then Jesus put hashtag selfie Sunday at the end of it. <laughs> These are the words of Jesus. Does it look different in your Bible? Maybe my Bible's, it's, you know, it's the new version. I don't know, maybe, maybe that, you know. No, this is what he really said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So he didn't say you must promote yourself and focus on self and celebrate self. You must deny yourself and then take up your cross and follow him. So Jesus is saying from day one, look, deny you, focus on me. Culture's telling us focus on you, deny God. That's the problem because the more we focus on self, the more we don't like ourselves, right? If you ever notice, the best thing you can ever do for yourself is to quit thinking about yourself. The more you think about other people and the more you think about God and the more you turn the attention off of you, you feel better about yourself because we were not created to obsess over self. We were created to deny it. I don't want to look at me. I told Darla when the app came out, I said, this is just another way for me to be insecure about myself. You know what I mean? Create an app where I can't see, hear, or be in my own presence. I don't want to be around self. Deny self. And that's what this fast is all about. It's an opportunity for us as a church to deny something in us, to turn something in us down so that we can turn God in a way in our life up. And listen, if you want more of him, it has to mean less of you. It's just the way it works. The next thing I think Jesus was trying to teach him was this. His priority, God as a priority, meant his peace. So his priority means my peace. When I put God in, a, in, a, in the place of priority, I get peace. Let me show you what I mean. So in bebopping comes Richie, right? Hey, Jesus, what's up, man? Just trying to get in here, you know, internal life, and I got all this stuff. And then Jesus kind of throws this at him. 
He totally wasn't expecting it. And here's what Jesus says. Look, go sell everything you have. Deny yourself. Now, you have to be able to put yourself in this story. This man, which I'll talk about in a minute, was rich in in money. So that's what he needed to deny. Some of us ain't rich in money. So that's not what God's telling you to deny. It's something else. So he says, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Watch this. At this, the man's face failed. He walked away sad and distressed. He came in bebopping. This is who I am. I'm Richie, and I've done all these great things. And he walks away. Oh, man. what? And here's why he doesn't have peace. Because peace is a byproduct of having God in the right place of priority. I'm going to say it again because some of you take notes and actually listen to this throughout the week. Peace is a byproduct of you putting God in the right place of priority. When God is your priority, here comes peace. You can't have peace when God's not priority. And here's why. You'll never have peace when things are not in order. When your priorities are out of order, there's no peace. If you've ever had a dirty room, a dirty desk, which we'll talk about in a minute, you understand there's no peace when things are all out of order when things are all a lot of times when we break down we'll store stuff back here and we've got a couple people Mr. Bobby Miss Jenny we've got a couple people on our team that are just super like put it and if they come back here and this stuff is not in right order they are having a hissy fit because they want it to be in order because they understand that when things are in order there's peace but when things are all over the place there's no peace and and, and here's what I'm learning are you ready listen to this disorder is a result of having too many things. And I'm about to prove it to you. First of all, look at what it says about Richie, okay? Right off the bat, it says that he uh, walked away and his face fell and he was sad. And here's the reason. Because he had what? Great wealth. There's another version that says because he had many things. When you have too much stuff, Disorder is a result of having too many things. The reason why often our life is out of order is because we have too much to manage. And we don't know how to manage it all, so it gets out of order and then we lose peace. When you have too much, you can't manage. Manage brings disorder. Disorder causes peace to leave. If you're wondering why you don't have peace, we can go all the way back to the fact that you have too many things. Too many things. Uh, Again, as I was studying... I didn't know this. This kind of uh, surprised me. Did you know that people today get paid to come into other people's houses and organize them? I wasn't sure if we're lazy or geniuses. You know what I mean? Like, like that's either a genius and this entrepreneur. Like, I'm like, I know you're too lazy to clean your own house, but you can pay me to do it. You know what I mean? That's genius, right? They're making money hand over fist because we don't want to clean our house. They come in to organize, to declutter. And the reason why that's taking off so much is because scientists and things are saying that decluttering is an emotional benefit. I actually found this quote. I thought it was interesting. People who declutter experience less stress and less anxiety, improved health habits, and look at that, inner peace. Because peace comes with order. I thought it'd be fun to do a little test on you, all right? I'm going to show you a picture of a desk, and I want you to see if you start getting filled up with anxiety, 
All right? So, so here, let's put this picture up here at this desk. This is a dirty desk, as you can see. You got the headphones over here. This is trash right here. I don't even know what's up with that. Look, ain't even got no tape on the roll. You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you see this and just want to lose your mind? Like, it's, do any of y'all have a room like this in your house? Can I tell you what really causes me anxiety? How many of y'all got a junk drawer? You got a junk drawer? Thank you. You know what I'm talking about? It's never neat. It's never in order. It's like the one drawer where all junk goes. I, I, this kind of stuff makes me want to lose my mind, okay? If you, if you ever come into a kitchen and all the counter space is filled with stuff, I can't stand it. I love order. Give them this next picture. I love the peace that comes with order. You also notice they got upgraded, right? They had a PC, now they got a Mac. Because when you get your life in order, God rewards. Can I get a hallelujah? All right. So it's just peace. Just, oh, man, there's just there's peace. Why was that first picture like it was? Because there was too many things. And so it's just disorder. And disorder brings stress. And therefore, you lose peace. And when we get things in order, we have peace. Put, put that, one, that dirty picture back up for me. Now, let me, relate it, let me relate it to your life. This right here is your finances. This right here is your schedule. This right here is your family, your marriage, your health. What is, this is uh, Bird Box on Netflix right here. <laughs> You know what I mean? You just, everything, this is, this is the bill you have for all the Christmas presents you just bought. And it's just, your life is chaotic. Just, just everywhere. There's just so much. And because there's so many things, God often gets lost somewhere. Oh, oh, is, oh, here he is. He's there. But I just got so much going on. And stuff is so out of order, and I'm stressed, and I can't manage this. And, and honestly, I have no peace. Do you know why you are able to feel peace in church? Because for an hour, you forgot all of this, and you came in and focused on one thing. And now there's peace. And then you leave and go back into this chaos and say, why can't I have peace? I'll tell you why. You have too many things. You have too much going on. And your life has become cluttered. And what Jesus wants to do is declutter your life. And that's when the Lord spoke to me and I realized this. He said Jesus was trying to declutter Richie's life. He realized he had too much stuff and he didn't know how to manage it well. So he said, look, go give it all away. Go start over from scratch. Wipe the, wipe the whiteboard clean. Let's start over. Because here's what 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, that my God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Here's what's interesting about that. If God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, that tells me that the opposite of disorder is peace. And it also tells me that you can't have both disorder and peace. How many of you have children under the age of 10? Did you suffer from the same depression and anxiety that I suffered from a couple days ago when your children opened up brand new toys? We came home with two tubs of toys. Our kids don't have enough toy or, or, or don't have enough time to play with the toys they have now. So every time they're opening up a present, I'm like, oh, no, not another one. Oh, and it makes noises. 
Oh, you can shoot it at her sister? This is going to be bad. You know what I mean? Like I was every open. I just thought, no, why? Save your money. Buy me and Darla a date. or something. No, don't buy them any presents. Like, no, 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 no. And it, it just stressed me out so much because their rooms are constantly out of order. I go into their rooms and I feel like I'm walking through some type of uh, uh, challenge in Survivor, you know, and I'm trying not to step on something. And I'm like, why can't you clean your room? And they're like, we have too much stuff. And I'm like, exactly. But we're going to go to Walmart and you're going to want something. And it's a disaster and they can't keep order because they have too many things. And I'm just honestly venting to you so that you can counsel me as a parent because I don't know what to do. And so I told him this. I said, you know what? We started this a couple years ago. So when we get home with all these new toys, you're packing up some of your old toys, and we're giving them away. What? But I love them. Be quiet. <laughs> you hadn't spent time with Barbie in three years. You don't care about her. Her heart's broken. She ain't got no friends. Have you seen Toy Story? You know what I mean? Like, she's your Woody. This is just, un- it's just oh. And so it's like, no, we get home, we're just, you're, just, you're, you're picking some toys, and we're getting rid of them. And I'll never forget one year we did this, and we got home, and their house was, or their rooms was a mess, and they were looking through. And I remember there was a time where both, kid and, both kids came up to me or to their mom and, and at one point said, hey, I forgot I had this. I mean, like, they, they, through the process of cleaning, they found a toy. Like, oh, Dad, look, remember this? And I'm like, oh, I thought I threw that in the trash can, you know? And it had been hiding, and at some point, they had piled stuff on it, and for years... They had forgot it was even there. And now because they're bringing order to their room, they're finding it and going, oh, I I remember I love this. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. Often God is in our presence, but our life is so out of order that he's hiding under things and we forget that he's there. And when we begin to put our life in order, we refine God. Oh, man, I remember him. I loved this. Why, why, Why have I not played? Why have I not been with him? Because you've just had a life out of order. And so as that life is out of order, you can't find God in all of this. And I love that fasting is a way of decluttering. And fasting is a way of putting my life in order so that I can refine God. And then I felt this. Denying yourself is the same as decluttering yourself. I thought, man, that's good. I don't know if y'all are really understanding what we're about to do in the next couple days. But these thoughts and these statements were so uplifting for me. As I get ready to deny myself, I want to refine God. Not that I haven't been in God's presence in a long time. But what if there are attributes and principles of God that I've missed out on? Because I'm covering up with all of the stuff I have to do. I'll come do a Bible study real quick, but then I got to go. Got to go do this, got to do that, got to do this. I have all of these things to manage. And if I don't manage well, I mismanage God. And it's my responsibility to manage. So Jesus is saying, listen, listen, Richie. If you want more of him, it's going to be less of you. If you, if, if you get his priority, you put him in the right priority place, it'll mean your peace. When we put God back in that right place of priority, seek first his kingdom, right? Seek first. We put him back in that place of priority. The result is peace. And then here was the last thing. My sacrifice means his reward. Let me explain. 
This story is often misunderstood in this way. People often say that what Jesus told him was, if you give your stuff away, you'll go to heaven. It's not what Jesus said. People kind of make that up in their mind, as if, as if the order to, the, to Richie was, if you can give all of your belongings away to the poor, then you inherit eternal life. That's not what he said. I want us to look at it again, and we're going to see what he said. Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. I didn't have time to work on that, but understand before he ever asked him to sacrifice a thing, he acknowledged that he loved him. God will never ask us to sacrifice anything without first establishing his love for us. Understand that. He looked at him, he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And, watch this, what? You will have treasure in heaven. He didn't say that if you give everything away, you'll go to heaven. He then says, come and follow me. Jesus has been very clear that if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way, and that's to follow Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The only way you get to heaven, it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how well you do it, okay? You can have everything or you can have nothing. None of that matters what you did last night, what you're going to do tonight. None of it matters. It only matters if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Come and follow me and you inherit eternal life. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's Jesus. But then he said to him, but if you will give everything you have away to the poor, then there will be treasures for you in heaven. Not you'll go to heaven but there will be rewards showing us that God rewards those who deny themselves. When I was in Memphis as the executive pastor, I often had to entertain musical guests or guest speakers or whoever were. I had to take them out and, you know, wine dine them or whatever and make them feel like people love them. And uh, this one musical guest came in. It was a guy, and if I said his name, you might or might not know him. And I had the responsibility to take him out. So I took him out to one of those Brazilian restaurants where they bring the meat to the table and you have like the card to let him know, come or go. And this guy was in great shape. I wasn't like checking him out or anything. He was just in great shape, okay? Just muscles and just in great shape. And so I was really uh, intimidated because I'm like, we're going to like a, basically an all-you-can-eat place and I don't want to look like a pig, you know, with him because I really likes food. And so we go and sit down and he's being all proper and he didn't touch the bread and I'm over there like, give me the bread. He didn't touch the potatoes and he just ate the lean meats and all this kind of stuff. And, and so the whole time I'm just in self-denial, just wondering, you know, if I could just like leave him at the table, make him pay for his own food. And dessert comes around and I, and I knew as soon as dessert came around, I'm like, this guy's not going to get dessert. Look at him. He doesn't, he doesn't eat dessert. And so the guy came around with the tray and I just, I just kind of went like, no, no, we don't, we don't need it. He goes, no, no, well, wait. And I was like, you're going to get dessert? Like you hadn't eaten bread which is God's food, right? He gave manna, supposed to be able to eat bread, which, I, by the way, I wish there was a verse that said in fasting you could eat bread. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you're going to eat dessert? And so I'm like, well, maybe he'll get, like, you know, the, the fruit sorbet, you know, which is a joke, you know. And, um, and he gets this piece of cheesecake that's, like, this big. And they set it down, and I'm like, that's my dog right there. That's, yeah, let's eat that. And um, he starts just, like, taking bites. Like, he got to three is what he got to. And he's like, whoo, And I'm thinking, like, woo Stuff has changed. You know what I mean? This guy, something has happened. And he does three bites, and he puts the fork down. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you about to, are we about to trade? What are you doing? And he, he reaches over, and he gets the salt, and he gets the pepper. And he goes and starts putting salt and pepper all over the cheese. And I'm like, no! You know, you don't mess up a Rembrandt. What's wrong with you? Like, I could eat that. And they just salt and pepper, salt and pepper, salt and pepper. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, man, I can't trust myself. I said, I'll sit here and eat the whole thing. 
And I said, well, I was wondering because, you know, you're in shape and you're going to eat that whole piece of cheesecake. He said, no, no. He said, I deny myself so that I can get this reward. And I started to understand when we deny ourselves, there's always a reward. It doesn't matter what you deny. When you deny yourself, there's a reward. And I prove it to you with this, Matthew 6. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Let me give you a little bit of backstory before you misunderstand what we're reading. Back in the day, you had the religious leaders who were more about being noticed than they were about God being noticed. And so they would do things for the attention of men and women. So they would fast, but they would want everybody to know it. Uh, I know I look bad, but don't worry, I've been fasting, unlike you. You know what I mean? It was, that, it was that kind of deal. So Jesus is saying, look, when you fast, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't try to get attention for it. And it's, he's going to explain a little bit more. It's really good. Truly, I, uh, don't disfigure your face to show others that they are fasting. For truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So when you do it to get attention from other people, you've already received your reward. You got their attention. Okay. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, do the best to look like you're not, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. My favorite part. And your Father who sees what is doing, what is being done in secret, will reward you. That just shows you that when we deny ourselves, God rewards us. Let me say this and I'll close. Um, when do you, those of you that have been in victory for six or eight months now, I was going to say for a long time, we haven't even been open for a year. Um, do you remember when we did the series Greater? the series greater. Those of you that are visiting, we did a series called Greater. We try to do a couple series a year about faith because God's called us to step up in our faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have to always be building our faith. And in the series Greater, I, I remember saying something to our church, which went kind of like this. For God to do something greater in our lives, we have to be ready to have an uncomfortable moment and an uncommon commitment and an unyielding faith. Do you remember that? That's why you should take notes. And so I started to pray that and clear as day, God told me this. Moving here and planting this church is not that for you. Like, what, what do you mean? Said, that was yesterday's manna. He said, you did that? That was your uncommon commitment and your uncomfortable moment and your unyielding faith? And I blessed you for that already. You got an incredible church with incredible people that's reaching an incredible place. And God, I, I, I did that already. You're going to have to do something new. I'll never forget this. This is about seven or eight months ago, however long ago that series was. I wrote in my journal. I can show you in my journal. I wrote full fast coming up, 20-day full fast. I knew when we were going to do it. I spent the next six months trying to find something else. <laughs> you know, uh, every day I was like, all right, God, I, that's not really a sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I moved my whole family three and a half hours to a place I've never been before. Let's step up the game. You know what I mean? A full fast is like going down. Let's do something better. I like M&Ms. And so, you know, I was just trying to figure out a way to, and so for six or seven months, I just continued that process. And then when we did from here to there, God once again said, boy, I already told you. I already told you, this is what I've asked you to do. And so I'm going into this with this mindset. God's called me to do it, so there's going to be a reward for it. And I believe that what we're going to go in 2019 and the victories we're going to see in our marriages 
and our lost siblings and our lost children and every prodigal son, every prodigal daughter and every womb that hasn't been able to be opened that will be opened in every situation where God is a God of miracles, where another 70 or more people will give their life to Jesus, where another 100 plus people will join the dream team, where more community events will happen. I believe all of the more that we're praying for, more, 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 more is the reward of the less we're about to do for the next 20 days. I just think that's how it works. God, we're faithful to do less. We're faithful to deny ourselves. We're going to go through something that's not comfortable, but we're doing it in faith and believing that you'll do more next year through us in Smyrna, through the greater Nashville area. So I say all of that to now say this. I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. January 1st, so we've given you two more days. you got two more days to act a complete fool. But on January 1st, I want to challenge you to choose something in your life to fast for 20 days. We'll come in here on the January 20th. We'll have great service. We'll, we'll party it up. We've got plans to do stuff for our party. And then you'll be able to walk out and break your fast right after service. We're going to have something for you to put in your mouth. If you're fasting food, you can jump on social media. Whatever it is you're fasting, you can do that the moment service is over on the 20th. But from January 1st, to this time, January 20th, I'm asking you as your pastor to choose something sacrificial. Don't choose something that's easy. Don't choose something that doesn't really take a lot of effort. Choose something that's sacrificial. Because here's the purpose of fasting. Because when you get to those moments where it's really difficult, you've got two places to run. You can either run back to what you're fasting or you can run to God. And when we do this, we'll be turning ourselves down and we'll be turning God up in our life. Because when you fast, in case you don't know, fasting social media or maybe you're fasting sleep or food, when you would normally partake of those things, since you're not doing them, that doesn't mean you go play video games. Since you're not doing them, you go and spend time in God's word and in prayer. And throughout these 20 days, you will have spent more time in prayer and in the word than you normally do because you fasted something. And I'm telling you right now, I just know, I know, as much as I know that God was faithful and purpose prevails, he'll be faithful in this. And there will be testimonies of marriages, there'll be testimonies of sicknesses, testimonies of prayers, that God came and healed and answered, not because of anything I did and not because of anything we did, but because of something that you did. Because you fasted, you denied yourself, something so that God could receive the glory. Amen? So I'm going to pray with this goal in mind that God would just lay something on your heart and your head right now. You might have come in here this morning you already knew what you were going to fast and God's going to change it. Maybe you came here this morning you had no idea. Maybe you came in here and you didn't even know you were going to participate in a fast and you just found out. Maybe you don't even go to church here and you're just in for the, and God's saying, this is for you. This is not a victory church thing. If you stay on social media enough, you'll see churches do this all the time. It's a biblical principle of starting 2019 off by giving it to God. Thanking him for what he did and expectation for what he'll do. So Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your word. I love the principles that you were communicating to the young rich ruler and the reward that comes when we deny ourselves. And I pray for us as a church as we begin to prepare to deny ourselves for the next 20 days, God, there are things 
Some people it's social media. Some people it's media in general. Some people it's sleep. Some people it's food. Some people it's sweets. Some people it's bread. Whatever it is, God, that you're speaking to people's hearts. They're about to give that up for 20 days. So I pray right now that you give them the strength to maintain that, but also the strength to find themselves in prayer and in reading your word in that time of fasting. And I thank you in advance for the miracles that you're going to do through this. All throughout your word, people fasted. Some did it in honor to you. Some did it as worship. Some did it to declutter their lives. But God, it's a biblical principle that you've put on us. And, it, and to be honest with you, God, in 2018, it's kind of beginning to fade away. People are not really doing it anymore. But God, we as a church are dedicated to worshiping you in every aspect that we can. And we want to learn how to deny ourselves and how to take up our cross and how to follow you better. So speak to us, Lord, in the areas that you're asking us to fast, asking us to turn down so that your presence in our life can be turned up. We thank you. We give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.